Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge On Simmons. Welcome into episode 110. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Before we start our things we missed from Tulane and our Navy preview for this upcoming week's game, uh, we want to start with a little bit of a tribute to someone that is very important in the UCF community or very important to everyone in the UCF community. That's James Reed, of course, um, suddenly passed away late last week. It was very, very sad news to see. It seemed like everything was was going well and he was doing better. I He was just back home, I think, um, earlier that week and had just interacted with him on Twitter. And he's just somebody who at any time would would hit you with some kind of meme, some kind of some kind of something on Twitter. He was involved in almost every conversation. Um, definitely somebody that we appreciated interacting with all the time, listened to our podcasts. We would always sometimes uh when like Christian and I aren't always the best about like posting the podcast on Twitter, like the the link or anything. And we would always find it a little little humorous that sometimes he would be listening to the podcast already and then he would like tweet at us and like, where's the link? <laughs> and would always remind us to basically put that up there. So definitely really sad news, tough news um, ahead of the game against Tulane, but glad that UCF got that. And I feel like almost in a fitting way, um, the entire weekend for UCF athletics, like, cause James was someone who I think the, as much as us and as much as probably more than us would follow every UCF sport. And he would have memes and graphics for every UCF sport. And to think back on the weekend, I mean, UCF basketball beat Florida state, UCF volleyball continued their winning streak by beating Cincinnati. UCF football beat Tulane. And then UCF women's soccer moved on in the NCAA tournament. It just felt like a nice, like, fitting weekend um, for James. So we're definitely going to miss him. And we wanted to start the show by uh, acknowledging him and and remembering him. Yeah. I mean, it just gutting news. Because like you said, he posted just a few days ago that he was back from the hospital. And it was like, because I know everyone had been worried about that. There'd been a thing on Twitter. And it was like, okay, we're good. And yeah, just awful to see before the game. I mean, everyone, I mean, as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you knew him and knew his tweets. I mean, his meme game was <laughs> unique above all. And just so, I mean, his literally the, the, just a few days ago, he posted the one, it's that the bird kicking the other bird off the stump. And it was the <laughs> UCF kicking the toilet. I just, he was, I, it, that, I was saying to you the other day, I said, this one's just going to hurt for a while. Cause he was such a notable part of UCF Twitter. I mean, it's like, you couldn't go more than a day without laughing at some meme that he'd come up with or some post he had. And yeah, yeah. it's awful. It's just, it's been a rough year between that and Lynn a few months ago. I just, it's yeah. been a tough time for UCF fandom, but the UCF community really has, has definitely lost some, some good ones this year and over the past year or so, but um, definitely wanted to to shout out James and, and note that we will miss him. Um, didn't really feel completely right um doing that on saturday because we wanted to give it its, its own space and give him some time um on this on this episode but with that um it's hard to to just jump to another topic after that but yeah. um, we will cut, catch up with some of the things we missed from tulane because of course in a game like that there was a million things we probably missed um a big game a chaotic game especially at the end and something I had to kind of reference and hinted at on the the post game podcast was like a negative thing. I was like, I don't want to like, I don't want to sully the podcast, the post game podcast, the good feelings of it with something more, something negative. But that's what this space is for, right? Um, and then it's more more something that I've just noticed, and we've seen it 
kind of in a, in a big disparity over the last couple of weeks with Mikey Keene playing quarterback and then John Rice Palmy playing quarterback. And that's the talent or not the talent, but the, in some ways, the wasting of the talent at uh, wide receiver because of JRP's kind of tendency to throw the ball more to Javon Baker. You just don't see as much production from Ryan O'Keefe and Kobe Hudson. And Hey, I mean, we're not going to sit here and complain too much because if, if he gets the job done and they win the game, they get it done but it just feels like they're he's not using them enough. Yeah, I want to be clear that this is the last time we're going to like do the whole Nike JRP thing cuz like oh, I yeah. feel like we're getting going over the top with it. But that being said, I feel like that cuz you're right and I rewatched the game yesterday and that it that's the biggest difference and it's like and I know we talked about in the past podcast that like from the last two games with Mikey that you see back to JRP and both work. They both work and obviously UCF just notched their biggest win in 4 years so I'm not here to say this is bad. It's more about what I want to see improved on in the next couple of games before they get back to a really big game and probably the conference championship is JRP when he's in the offense very much is about JRP. And, you know, I mean, it, it flows through him. All the big plays are through him. And it just has felt like, especially with O'Keefe and Hudson, they're just not being used particularly nearly as much when JRP isn't a quarterback. So I looked up the stats and uh, Ryan O'Keefe in the two games where Mikey was mostly the guy. I know JRP started since he, but Mikey played most of that game and played Memphis. Ryan, Ryan O'Keefe averaged uh, 72 receiving yards in those two games. He's averaging almost 20 yards less, 52 a game, and all the other games that John Rice Pumley's played in. Kobe Hudson, same time frame, 80 yards in those two games average and 45 yards in the other games. So I feel like the next, like, as far as things we want to see, because obviously UCF's going to two games against two opponents that, like, I... Listen, we'll talk about Navy. I think the score is going to be close to we like, but I'm just, I'm not worried about these games. I can't get myself to be. I feel like the big next hurdle is finding a way to have a passing game with JRP because I know we've seen it for six quarters against SMU and Temple. So we know it's possible, but like there should be ways to get Kobe and Ryan O'Keefe more involved than they are. You, you have too many good skill players to not get them involved and just run, run, run on teams and not do anything through the passing game. And my main thing with that is, We've seen, listen, John Rice can't throw the ball deep. He just can't. Well, I mean, he can occasionally, but not reliably enough for it to be part of the playbook. But it, he can hit midfield throws. He can't hit those five yard to 10 yard downfield throws. And when you've got guys like Javon Baker, Rhino, Keith, Kobe Hudson, I wish we'd see a little more of just getting them the ball in that space and letting them work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I do know. Um, and that's the thing I, I kind of even referenced that too on the podcast uh, after the Tulane game is that like I have some, I guess, fundamental issues with, not going to say issues, but just like things that I don't love about Gus's offense, where it's like everything has to happen behind the line of scrimmage. And I want to see players get the ball. I don't know. There's more in more in space. Like I know they love to use the slant route, which is like my favorite, one of my favorite things that they do is like get the ball over the middle of the field to your receivers and let them do the rest. And I, I think I, it, it feels like sometimes when JRP's in the game, the, and I guess it was, it was a thing at times last year too, when the offense was a little more limited with all the injuries and Mikey as a true freshman, it was just, the one way to get Ryan O'Keefe the ball is to do those little pop passes behind the line of scrimmage. And I think there's more to him than that. And well, so it's, it's, just... it's funny because we, I, we talked about a lot last season, because basically last season, the entire offense was run behind the line of scrimmage and yeah. fans got really pissed about that. And I defended it on this podcast. I was like, Oh, you know, it's, you know, with the injuries they have, the personnel they have right now, that's what you have to do. And they've really still largely done that this year. And I'm realizing like, oh, Gus just really likes to start things off behind the line of scrimmage. And it's not my favorite thing. I know you and I disagree a little bit. You're a lot more down on his play calling and play <laughs> style than I am. I think if they win, I don't really care. But yeah, no, I do no, agree that's, that that's the thing I should be clear about is that if they win, fine. But I'll still have a little bit of things here and there where I can nitpick more in a win. And then rather than if they lose, it's just like 
a, a big storm of things. But truthfully, we talked early in the season and it was, and that's why I feel like it's important to touch on this. And it was a big conversation on Twitter of like, oh, wow. And we said it on this podcast, we really overestimated the wide receivers. We really, you know, we thought we had more than we did. And after the last two games, then back to this, I don't think that's the case. I think just the style of play and how they use JRP de-emphasizes the wide receivers. And I just, I think there's a way to marry that. I think there's a way to let JRP go off and have his big runs and also get the wide receivers more involved than they've been when he's the starter. I mean, I understand that what they did again, I'm not saying what they did against Temple in the second half of SMU, we need to see every game. I'm not saying, okay, all the receivers need hundred plus yards and just crazy plays downfield. But these next two games, I just feel like are a big opportunity for you are playing teams that are just flat out, not as good as you get some things right for the conference title game, get some things right for the bowl game beyond that, whatever bowl game it's going to be. And I just feel like this is a big opportunity to figure that out, especially with the wide receivers, because everything else is working. And the other thing I want to say along that line too, as far as everything running through JRP is one big takeaway from me watching the game. He needs giant improvement leap opportunity for him is to not keep the ball. Every time he has the option to keep the ball. There are literally, I counted at least six times in that game where he has RJ or he has Bowser, where he keeps the ball, where if he just let them take it, they would have gained five plus yards. And it's like, and he often gains that many, but he ha- he's, has to use his athleticism. He has to use his speed. He makes things difficult. It's like, it's okay to just hand the ball off sometimes. I mean, if they can just get those couple things down of just getting the skill players involved, like 10% more of JRP, I feel like it's just going to be like a well-oiled machine that teams can't stop. And another thing about that is if they're both getting, like if he gets those five yards anyway, that's fine. But also he's shown that he doesn't want to slide. So it's like he's taking more unnecessary hits. If he's going to get five yards and Bowser's going to get five yards, I feel more comfortable with Isaiah Bowser taking and absorbing some of those hits than the quarterback who just, one is your quarterback and a lot runs through him, but also he's just, he's just coming off of a concussion. So like, it's just stuff like that where it's like, all right, come on. Like just, I know he's always trying to make the play himself, but I think there's a way to, to be smart about that. And I think like for the most part, I would say he probably does, but there's some of those little moments here and there where you're like, come on, dude, just, just do it. But we'll, we'll move, we'll leave off, leave something from there because that was more like, even, even that is just a nitpicky thing after a win. It's just like, whatever, I mean, do what you need to do to win. Um, And then what they did need to do to win was run the ball and just basically out athlete Tulane, which is why, JRP finished with it was 176 rushing yards. 176 rushing yards, which is uh, a mo- the most by a UCF quarterback in a single game. Set a new record, passing Jeff Godfrey, Mackenzie Milton, Daryl Mack, Vic Penn. He's at 176, and it's a new new school record. He won the AAC Offensive Player of the Week for the third time this season. So that's why it's I like looked up. I when was the last time? It did, I'm sure Dylan Gabriel got three times in a year, maybe. That's a great question. I'm curious how many UCF players have done that period. I'm sure Milton did it. No doubt about yeah. that. Because there, there was a point in 2017 where the AAC just stopped even paying attention to their box scores and just gave it to him every week. I yeah. feel like Dylan probably would have done it. I'd have to check. Is that it, though? I wonder if anyone else has. I don't think Bortles did. I would I would wager that it would probably be just Milton and Dylan. But I don't Man, I don't know for sure. That's but... pretty crazy if that's true, just the third player to do that. But um. Yeah, 176 rushing yards will get you there. That's I, And that was the other thing from my rewatch, and I know we said this on the postgame pod, and it's why I am just oh so begging Tulane to beat Cincinnati and show up in the conference <laughs> title game. Because, I mean, that game, and it wasn't just JRP, although he was a big part of it, is that, like, Tulane just had no answer for UCF speed. They just, they just, they don't have athletes like that. <laughs> and it was just, that was basically the story of the whole game. I mean, you look at the, you look at John R. S. Pumley's two big runs downfield. One of them, he was pretty open, but the other one, it wasn't like, oh, that was just an easy, you know, you know, screw up by the defense. He's just too fast. And there were so many plays where Harvey even is just too fast. Johnny Richardson is just too fast. I mean, I, 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 it's, 
we, we talk a lot about, you know, I mean, that's that's been UCF's identity on offense for God for years and years and years, basically going back to the end of the O'Leary eras, UCF's recruiting strategy has been go get a bunch of Florida speed and just run on teams. And and that this was just a masterclass of that being on display. Yeah. Um, and something I'm curious about now, and I don't know, I don't know if I can pull it all up because the AAC's website sucks and I don't like it. Um, it's a is, terrible website. It's not record. good. It's not good, but just the idea, and this popped in my head now, is the fact that, like, for all the complaining and for all, not even complaining, but for all the back and forth on quarterback, he's now been the Offensive Player of the Week in the conference three times this season. Is he going to have a case for Offensive Player of the Year at the end of the season? So it's so funny because someone tweeted that earlier, and I was like, okay, come on. Like, you know, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a, you know, he's a great athlete, and he's a, he's a good quarterback for sure, but he, you know, I just have a hard time seeing a quarterback winning that award when they can't consistently throw the ball. And then I started looking at stats, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> I think he I mean, might, there's a case to be made that he's the front runner for it right now. I mean, he's ninth in passing yards, which is I mean, low, obviously, when it's a 11 team conference. It's incredibly um, low, yeah. But I mean, he has, I think, what is it, 18 total touchdowns or is it? No, 21 total touchdowns. He has yeah. 12 passing touchdowns, nine rushing touchdowns. He'll end the season with, I mean, he's at 708 rushing yards, which is fifth in the conference. And it's he's a quarterback, obviously. Um, he's probably going to end the season with, North of 850, probably, maybe close to 900, depending on how the next couple weeks go and how yeah, I'd say know, all that happens. It's just, I don't know. If they're going to use him the way they used him against Tulane. Um, <laughs> the only competition, like... the only real competition is Mordecai. Um, Mordecai's got 20, uh, he's coming up on 2,800 passing yards, 27 touchdowns to seven picks. He's got two touchdowns on the ground as well, but they haven't historically given that award to teams that are middle of the pack or lower pack in the conference. It almost always goes to one of the teams that are playing in the conference title game right up there. So from that perspective, it wouldn't surprise me if he did, which Which at that point, (laughs) at that point, you give as much of that credit to Gus Malzahn as anyone that you bring in a guy who wasn't even a quarterback at his past stop and you get him offensive player of the year in your conference. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting. I I didn't even thought about it until I was just like three, he's won it three times. And yeah, I know he missed a, what a game and a half, but still like his numbers are going to be up there as far as total touchdowns and rushing yards and all that stuff. Well, so. It's like we've talked about with him is as many down performances as he's, as he's had when he's on his stats are ridiculous. I oh, mean, he's electric touchdowns in a game earlier this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll be interesting to, to track that. over the I next mean, can, can he fill the shoes of previous AAC offensive player of the year winner Desmond Ritter? I mean, who knows? I mean, what a, what a, <laughs> what a prestigious player to follow up, but. I was going to say he can he has the opportunity the next two weeks to stat pad a little bit and give give himself an even better case for that war. We'll so. talk about that because I, okay. I honestly, as as dumb as it is, like I feel like, like listen, guys, I'm fully I, I we'll get into it in a second here. I fully acknowledge that Navy has played a lot of teams close, and I'm telling you that I simply don't care. And <laughs> I I just I think I think UCF would have to try really hard to lose next week. I think they'd have to try. I think they would have to lie down on the field and just go to sleep to lose to USF. I think these are some like perfect get JRP some ridiculous stats and take home AAC offensive player of the year and feel awesome about yourself going to the conference title game. The perfect storm of just everything right now. No, we'll talk. Listen, we're they're not the going to beat Navy by a billion points. I don't think they're going. I don't think they're going to beat Navy by they twenty might. points. I don't think they're going to cover um, because that's just the way Navy plays and Navy has played teams close. But I just don't think Navy can beat them, especially not on the road. I just don't think they're capable of that. Yeah, I don't think Navy is going to bring. A, a traveling contingent quite like UCF brought to Tulane, which is our next point of things that we missed. The last point that we'll make is I don't think we really talked about it at all on the postgame podcast, but I mean that and, and hearing from people that were there and some of the players have said it, even Gus said it, that like the, the fans helped them win the game at Tulane. Yeah. And that it was like 
almost like a 50 50 split not a huge stadium but ucf took a lot of fans there a lot of fans made the trip and i know they have probably some in in the area that are alums but that's just really cool it's just yeah brandon Helwig posted that video it was a cut up of all the uh different players and and malls on talking about and all of them were just like oh yeah no it felt like a home game and honestly that those those key drives at the end it was i mean Tulane's on offense and even through the tv you can just hear the shouting and they pan to the crowd it's a sea of black and gold i mean and i want to talk about something because i saw that was kind of getting national play which i thought was interesting ross dellinger tweeted about it a few different people tweeted about it and i was like that's always cool but it was sort of framed in some areas as like yeah wow yeah that, that you know going to the power five like does wonders like that's you know there's a lot of excitement right now and it's like let me be clear like ucf my entire life has traveled very well like that's not like I get like national folks are noticing it now, but that's not a new development. I mean, I remember yeah. going back to when I was a kid. I mean, UCF, when you graduate, I mean, when you have 60,000 students and you have 300,000 living alumni, it's like you're going to be well represented pretty much everywhere. Yeah, it was um like we went to Memphis a couple weeks ago. It was a decent, it was still a decent turnout. It was a good group, nothing, yeah. I don't think it was like it was in, in New Orleans. Well, like, I think that just like goes down was... to us, right? Because we, this offseason, we picked, we're like, we're going to go to New Orleans or Memphis. And we, yeah. I think a lot of people think New Orleans because it's New Orleans. And I was like, I want to eat barbecue. So let's go to Memphis. <laughs> Unlike Gus Malzahn, I, I do like barbecue from time to time. Not a huge barbecue guy, but. <laughs> hey, speaking <laughs> of that, shout out to Gus Malzahn at the press today for not being thrown a question that he was afraid of that that was good. Because I know these last few weeks, Marion Helwig's been asking him, you know, like, <laughs> what what do you eat? And Gus hasn't been able to answer, so it was nice. To I made the it. joke. I was like, I was like, I'm surprised we didn't get a question about like crab cakes, given that Navy's coming down from Maryland. The only question you got today from Brandon was like, talk about your respect for veterans. Now the Veterans Day came in. Gus kind of paused, like he was even yeah. thrown by that, which I found kind of funny. <laughs> the thing about Malzahn that I find so funny is he very clearly like he lives and breathes football, and oh, he football wants guy. to talk about football. And it's like yeah. when you mention anything that's even one percent not football, you can see him get thrown for a second. Like, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> he's like wait i thought i was up here to talk about football like yeah, it's so stop, stop asking me these food questions but yeah all right well we can move into our ucf navy preview uh it's number 17 ucf eight and two four five and one the aac forgot to update that 38 31 win at number 17 tulane last week and then navy comes in at three and seven and three and four in the aac they lost 35 to 32 uh against number 20 notre dame last week played them close we're getting blown out early but came back later on in the second half and really made that a game yeah. and i mean obviously i disagree well, with that characterization of that game well i didn't watch it so i don't actually know oh, well, uh, no, they scored like a garbage time touchdown it was not like it was never realistically in where doubt. was that i don't remember i was i was reading something it just said something like they they made adjustments in the second half that made it more difficult for notre dame than it previously they, was in the first half whatever they were down 35 13 late in the third quarter and they scored a few points in the fourth quarter and didn't win like a few I'm points sorry. also notre dame's not even that good this year Hey, that's number 20 Notre Dame to you. Yeah, I don't care. Like they lost to Marshall. Like, what are we doing here? Um, the big thing this week, obviously, we, we mentioned this a ton of times on the postgame podcast that UCF can clinch a spot in the AAC championship game with a win. Um, and it would be nice to get that taken care of in their first shot here on Saturday. Um, you want to jump right into the key stats or do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I mean, it would just be so much better to get it out of the way now. Right. And then it sets up next week, the last war on I-4 win that and you have it at home you have the AAC championship game at home you don't care what I'm just done pretending this game is like I like I I I know that I'm just setting myself up for like absolute disappointment it's like I fully like I just you're right like you just want to put it away here but like of course they're going to put it away here like it's a home game against Navy like you know I I just I find I, I feel like part of it is like we 
as a fan base and whatever have been through a lot these past few years of like UCF not living up to the quote unquote expectations they have. And these last few days since that Tulane game, I've just felt like how I felt for like most of 17 and 18, where I'm just like, oh, hey, they're not playing like a good team this week. So I don't even have to like sort of worry about it. Like they're fine. And maybe that's blind of me, but say I've watched like... a good amount of Navy this year. I've obviously watched a lot of UCF this year. And I just, I think they will cause problems for them as Navy always does. But I just think this is going to be one of those games that's going to last two and a half hours, be low scoring, not be particularly interesting to watch. Then UCF will have won and clinched a place in the league title game. Yeah. Well, then let's let's switch shift gears to the other thing where this is UCF's last regular season AAC home game. Yeah, and thank God. Um, you know, we're ready for the Big 12. No, I'm, I'm now I'm just being overly obnoxious fan. That is actually pretty crazy to think about because it's kind of funny. Like once something has happened, it sort of, does this make sense? What I'm about to say, I feel like once I don't something know you got to say it first. Well, I'm just, I'm prefacing and I'm going to say it Bailey. Uh, once something happens in life, I feel like it's easy to look back on it and think, well, that was always going to happen. But as recently you're looking at me like that didn't make sense. Oh, it was very profound. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting very interesting waters here. Yeah. I'm getting philosophical. We love when I get philosophical on the podcast. (laughs) Um, the thing to me that I'm trying to get at is we talk about UCF going to the big 12 now, like, well, UCF of course was always going to end up in a power conference. Like that was their destiny. Their time in the AAC is coming to an end as we all knew it would blah, 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 blah. And as recently as a year and a half ago, like there was no sign that UCF was going to be leaving the AAC anytime soon. Like I, I, I think I even said in the podcast, like they could still be here in 2030. They could still be here in 2040. Who knows? Cause like we said, it was, it was going to take some monumental shift at the P5 level, which, until Texas realized that they want more money, didn't even seem sort of on the Good horizon. Good news, and that's what we got. <laughs> I know, I, we, we were talking about this when you were over at my house on Saturday, that that we, for as much as we like, sort of like go after like Texas and Oklahoma, we should really be thanking them. Like they are the reason that UCF is getting to accomplish like all their dreams. It's because Texas wants more money. <laughs> so that's awesome. But I'm, I'm just saying all that to be said, like it is kind of crazy that they ended up only spending 10 years in the AAC because the AAC came together as a really weird conference. It was kind of the ashes. Well, it was, it was the ashes of the big East mixed with some conference USA and no one really knew what the hell it was going to be or how long it was going to last. And it took 10 years. And in those 10 years, UCF went from a team called central Florida, the vast majority of college football fans really hadn't heard of to a brand and now had to do the power five. And it's, it's going to be kind of weird. You know, this is going to be the last time. Well, the second last time with the, um, you know, if the conference title game, if they host it, but this could be the last time that we ever even see that AAC logo on the field, which is sort of weird to think yeah, about. That is weird. I didn't think about that that way. It was just more for me. It was like, I think it was earlier this morning. I thought about it and I was like the next time. And, and first it started out as an incorrect thought in my brain where I was like, oh, well, the next time, because I'm not going to be able to make it. If they host a conference championship, I'm not going to be able to make it. So I was like, You're wow, just the not next a real time, fan. sure. The next time um, <laughs> I'll be in that stadium, it'll be a big 12 game. And I was like, well, no, no, it won't. But the next time I'm at the stadium, UCF will be in the Big 12. And the next conference game they play in that stadium that I'm at is going to be against the Big 12 opponent. Isn't and that it so historic? Blew the, next my mind. Time, the next time you be in that stadium, they will be running out through a face Kent State. That's <laughs> crazy. That that uh, game, that first home game next year, even though it is against um, the golden flashes of the Mac, is, is going to feel really weird, right? I mean, there's going to be Big 12 logos on the field. I feel like it's just going to feel different. And maybe that's UCF's dumb, maybe. first game as a Big 12, a big, as a Big 12 team. Yeah. I wouldn't even say as a Big 12, just as a Power 5 team. UCF's yeah, first sure. game as a Power 5 team. I, I just, that's going to be cool. So gets, you guys want to know how out I am on caring about this game? I'm, I'm talking about the Kent State opener for next year instead of the Navy game. Can't wait. Can't wait. I've just, um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever enjoyed a UCF Navy game in your entire life? Um, The 2017 one was kind of fun. That was a good mm, game. I didn't like that game. Well, yeah, because it was stressful, but it was a good game. Really good uniform combo, though. 
Yeah, it's true. So, but, but yeah, after that, that, no. Twenty eighteen no. was a dud. They didn't play anything until last year. I think so. Yeah, last year was horrendous. Not um, fun. <laughs> Did not. That's part that. of it too. Is you look at last year, and I mean, we forget because it's like oh, UCF lost Navy, and that was when we all decided that the program was dead and never coming back. But. I, you look at even that game and UCF like had the lead late with a chance to win and just kind of blew it. And that was when UCF at their absolute most injured, at least experienced. So it's just kind of hard for me to feel like now that this game is going to be particularly, you know, risky, even if it will be tough. <laughs> this is such an interesting line that you're walking. Cause you're like, they're going to play them tough, but like, eh, it's not even, not even a good game. I mean, it's just whatever. But that's exactly what's going to happen. Like UCF fans are going to get into the stands bright and early in the morning and expect UCF <laughs> to win by like 40 and UCF won't they'll win by like 10 and it will be annoying, but there will be no point where UCF was actually in danger of losing the game. And it's just going to be one of those boring games where nothing particularly interesting happened. That's what's going to happen. A little hint at your score prediction there. Ooh, did I have them winning by 10? Mm. Uh, they're going to win by 11. And, <laughs> All right. All right. And Don't say anymore. Don't say anymore. <laughs> Key stat number one. Uh, UCF has not lost at home to a team that went on to have a losing record in six years. Can you guess the team? Did I tell you the team when I made that stat? No, you didn't tell me the team. Can you I, guess I, the team? I meant to look it up. And so six years, that's so give me the year. That's back to 2016. You sure? Right? 20, yes, 2016. I'm not okay. good at math. Just checking your math. Um, was it? Wait. I feel like it's, I feel like it's really <laughs> obvious. It makes me really obvious. So I, I figured it out obviously. in my head before I actually checked the stats. So it I wasn't really, it wasn't Temple, obviously. Um, that was when Temple was good. Yeah. What a time! Um, was it Tulsa? Tulsa was ten and three. Tulsa was good that year, so yeah, it wasn't Tulsa. Tulsa. Was, was it Maryland? It was Maryland. It was Maryland. six and seven. Maryland was the last team to finish with the losing record to come into the bounce house and beat UCF. UCF was starting a brand new Hawaiian freshman quarterback. They were wearing gold helmets for the first time in a decade. It was it, it was a time of transition for UCF. So, of course, this is a notable stat because Navy's three and seven, so they're going to finish with a losing record. I should have made that clear. Oh yeah, we should have um, said for sorry. Navy is, <laughs> has clinched a losing record. So yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting because I was thinking about I was trying to dissect in my own brain why I can't get myself to be worried about this game, and I realized part of it was like, and that was what the basis of the stat was. I was like, when was the last time a team that was actually bad? came into the bounce house and won. And the answer was the second home game following 0 and 12. <laughs> yeah. So Sounds I think, right. and honestly, what's kind of funny is I, I, we made a couple of jokes about it. If you're listening, I assume, you know, by now the game is kicking off at 11 AM, which is just a really normal and natural kickoff time for a football game. And fans are before college game day ends. Fans are, I actually love that. Like people are just going to go watch UCF because it's on TV and it's the only game for an hour. Well, we can talk about at some point why you are all very mad. And I just love 11 AM kicks, even though this is the only one ever, <laughs> but you know, for me, it's like, I think they're actually going to get a good crowd for this game too. They announced that it's a sellout. People seem angry, but still going to go. And apparently wearing pajamas, don't know what that's about. We have a friend who can't make it and she put her tickets up for resale and they were snatched up in like literally a few minutes. So I just, I'm thinking it's going to be a good crowd and bad team plus good crowd equals a UCF win. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, key stat number two, and this is what makes this matchup like even more so like this is one that UCF should just be able to literally roll out of bed and win yep. um, at 11 a.m. Navy's two available quarterbacks have combined for 21 pass attempts this season. So they're, they're starting quarterback. Of course, Navy runs a triple option, so they don't throw the ball a lot anyway. But when they do throw the ball, when they have thrown the ball this season, it's typically been by Ty Lavatai, who is, was their starting quarterback. And he suffered a season-ending injury a couple weeks ago. And so they're down to two, two guys. Their number, their number two quarterback at one point in the Notre Dame game also got hurt. So I don't really know 
I don't think we it really could know be down to the third string quarterback, which availability of QB two or QB three, but a particularly large problem if you're Navy, because Navy's not the type of program, just the way they're set up that has like a Mikey Keene waiting in the wings, you know, that that's an issue for them. So the, I think the big positive there though, is that like for the first time in probably a month, we don't really have to worry about the DBs. Um, probably. Yeah. So that's Shouldn't. exciting for sure. Except for like the one time Navy's going to be like, surprise, we're throwing the ball. And then, well, and that's why it'll be open. close. Like, I just have this vision in my head of UCF being up like 21 7 in the third quarter, and everyone's like sort of getting ready to file out of the stadium. And then, like, Navy just like uncorks like a 40 yard pass that like no one was ready <laughs> for downfield to make it 20 to make it like 21 14. Everyone's like, here we go. And then UCF will have to go down and score or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. If, it's, if, it's, if it's UCF more... loses this game, we're deleting this podcast and burning it. Like, I just want to make that clear because I've, I've been so unbearably cocky but you know well that's fine but like hundreds of people have already heard it so they will have care. known that i don't care okay <laughs> but you know, and then the, so the more the point is one they're going to run this with an inexperienced quarterback but also they just don't throw the ball anyway like it's it's no. really going to be up to ucf's run defense to stop the triple option which does give teams problems as like as we've alluded to it's like one of those things where no matter how bad the team's record is like you're you, it's not something you're going to face more than once in a season typically no, so but like, that's what the triple option is. I mean, it's the great yeah. equalizer. That's how, I mean, that's why the service academies run it because they may not have the size or the speed or even the athleticism, but it forces, it forces defenses to make decisions. And luckily UCF's run defense has been very good this year. They have a very, very good D line. I think that they are capable of just creating havoc and stopping us from even being a game from the start. Will they? I don't know. Cause like I said, facing triple option does involve decision-making and that's not something UCF's really had to face a ton this year along the D line. So we'll see, but yeah. Yeah, I think it UCF be, matches up well, and that's that's part of the, the whole thing too. Is like why these games are never like fun to watch is because like I don't I don't enjoy watching a triple option team. I'm sorry. I so here's the thing. I respect the triple option for what it is. I think yeah. it's it's really cool actually. And I have watched games where when a really good team is running it and it's working, it's pretty fun to watch. Or maybe not fun, but just really cool. I was to gonna watch. say because like. It can be fun to watch for like a little bit, but then they're just doing the same thing every time. It's like, all right. There's something saw, really alluring. I saw about them running that play like six times in a row. But there's something really alluring about a defender absolutely convinced they are about to about to get a big sack and a tackle for loss, and they are inches away from it, and then suddenly the ball is pitched out, and it's a 60-yard touchdown for that team. Like, I, it, there's something alluring about it, I guess I'll say. It's maybe not fun to watch, but... Either way, yeah. I just think it, but the issue is Navy's not a good team. Like, so it's like when you're watching a bad team run the triple option, it's just, it's a, it's a long day. Yeah. And that's why, the, that's why I think this one could turn into a pretty easy, comfortable win, which we'll get on to. But yep. there's, there's some things to be worried about. And that's Navy having the number six run defense. This is key stat number three. Navy having the number six run defense. They've given up just 85.8 yards per game on the ground. Uh, they have the number 116 pass defense, giving up about 275 per game. But UCF obviously loves to run the ball, and that doesn't mean they can't throw the ball. Um, but this is one of those games where maybe they're going to want to throw the ball a little more. I don't know. They'll still they'll still be able to run it well, I think. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where UCF's running backs are sh- shut down. But that is the strength of Navy's defense is stopping the run. This has me worried for a couple different reasons. Okay. I'll say three let's reasons. Talk, let's talk through those reasons. Three reasons that that stat has me worried is reason number one. When the Tulane game ended and I saw that final drive work out the way it did, I thought, and I think I even said to you, I know the game plan for Navy next week. Let's give Isaiah Bowser 30 carries and end the game in two hours. Like that was my, that's it. Like I don't, like literally just pull a Georgia Tech basically. And yeah. I'm now that we've actually looked at it. Also known as a Tulane now. Also known as a Tulane. Well, Tulane was like a more fun version of it, but yeah. And at least for one drive. And now that we've looked <laughs> at how Navy actually plays and how they stack up, not so sure you can do that. That's reason number one. 
Reason number two, I don't love the idea of John Rice Plumley having to throw the ball because we saw one drive against Tulane where he had to throw the ball and it was awful. So I don't love that. And if the run game isn't working, I don't think JRP is the type of guy who can bail you out and start hitting passes down the field. That being said, we have seen him light it up against bad defenses this season. So maybe he can, we'll just have to wait and see. Reason number three, and this is the big one. I don't think, I just don't think that Gus Molson can get himself to not try to run the ball. And I think that even if JRP is throwing the ball well and Navy secondary is struggling and we're getting big plays, I think he is still going to burn drives trying to establish the run when he doesn't have to. Those are my big three reasons. I don't I don't think I can like talk you out any of those three reasons because I think they're pretty valid, but I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like you 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 could go into this game worrying about all that stuff and then it could just none of it could matter. Like we went into the temp, temple game, like so temples played like some pretty bad teams right but their defenses look really good in doing so and then UCF put up 70 points and we're like wow we looked pretty dumb kind of pumping up Temple's defense a little bit so it's like this Tulane could matter too. Tulane not, was on 16 points a game they put up 38 I mean I mean listen that's why that, I mean that's when I talked about stat padding for AAC offensive player of the year I wasn't totally joking because I mean Navy's defense at least statistically is the type of defense that John Russ Pumley has had just stupid stat lines against this year like seven touchdowns against Temple or running all over FAU so so, or, you know, going off against SMU. So from that perspective, maybe he will just have a huge day and this will be a blowout. Well, that's where I also hope to. And like we talked about earlier with the wide receivers, like UCF has those talented wide receivers. I think they're going to be able to out talent their Navy's defensive backs. So like, it might not be that difficult for John Rice probably to hit an open receiver. Yeah, I mean, this this is the game to, you know, get the receivers involved, get John Rice Plumlee more involved in the passing game. I mean, get that going, you know? So, I, I like, you, you look forward and, like, because, listen, I'm hoping they get to lane in the conference title game. And if they get to lane in the conference title game, I think doing exactly what you just did will work fine. If you get in Cincinnati, it's a different story. So, I just, I really think UCF, obviously the goal is to win the games, but you can look at these two games as the time to sort of work through some of the areas that you want to improve and start working on that stuff, you know? And that's what we've seen, too. We've seen jrp do it before it was the like especially the third quarter of the temple game i look back to is where his receivers were just running by guys and he was hitting them downfield for like a 65 yard touchdown i think to yeah. hudson or somebody and so i i think his receivers are going to create opportunities for those big plays and i think he can hit them and so that's where you kind of wonder like all right maybe they, they will and they're never going to go pass heavy and especially with with him in a quarterback and i don't think they're going to go pass heavy with anybody in a quarterback under under gus malzahn but I think this is an opportunity to kind of balance that out a little bit more because Navy's pass defense has been so bad yeah. and the run defense has been good. I, it's we'll like, I, I don't know. I, the thing about Gus is like, I obviously think he's a very great coach. I think I like him a lot more than you do from conversations we had over the last couple of weeks, but yeah. he's definitely stubborn and Auburn fans warned us he was stubborn. And I don't know how good he is at adjusting. Like, you know, like if Navy's giving you the passing game, is he going to adjust to that? Or are we going to see like, JRP finds like, I don't know, Javon for a 30 yard game downfield and they run up to the line and then they hand off to Bowser for a two yard loss. Like, I, I just feel like that wouldn't <laughs> surprise me that much to see. Yeah. And for the record, I don't not like Gus Malzahn at all. I, I do. I do like him a lot. There are things that I don't like about him, but it's probably the case with everybody. How would you think I don't like about you? Well, <laughs> I personally think I'm a flawless human being, but um, how would you grade? That was a joke. Um, how would you grade? I'm glad you said that. Thank you. <laughs> You never know. Um, how would you grade Gus Malzahn's tenure at UCF right now? Like on a scale of 100 or 10. I don't know why I said 100. A scale of 10. <laughs> scale of 10? Yeah. No, that's the thing. Is like I'd give him probably an 8 or a 9. Like he did so okay. well to win nine games last year with that banged up of a team. And he's got them in position to go win, host and potentially win a conference championship game right now. 
So like I'm I don't have like overarching com- like uh, complaints about it. There's just like little things here and there. I'm like, come on, dude. But especially when you look at the recruiting trail too, it's like you can't complain about anything there. So like I don't have like big complaints. It's all small things that probably don't matter. And I think that like I find the play calling complaints with him a little weird in some instances. Because like, listen, sure, he's had bad play calls. I mean, every coach has. But it feels like, I don't know why, like, I never, I don't remember a single time under Heupel's tenure that fans were like, he needs to give up play calling. And with Gus, that happens at least once a drive that someone tweets that. And like, well, I don't even, Heupel, see, I don't even love his play calling all the time, but I don't agree with that at all. What do you mean? Like, I don't think he, I don't think at any point have I, have I thought he should give up. Oh, calling. okay. I, I thought just, you said you didn't agree with me saying that no one said that about Heupel. No, so really no, remember. I'm just yeah, saying okay, for, as far saying. as for me like uh, as much as like i'll say like sometimes like okay i don't like that he's doing this but it's like no i mean he's he's doing fine yeah i just wonder why that is because like hype like when gus's offense doesn't work it gets annoying but it's like when hypo's offense didn't work i wanted to like turn off the tv and scream like i, I find it interesting <laughs> that gus sort of gets di- i i wonder if it's just because he'd given up play calling at auburn before and fans that's just like a buzzword they've heard over the last decade so they throw it in there but i don't know i found that yeah. interesting I don't know. I think his play con is very good. I, I, it's certainly not as fun of an offense to watch as the 17 through 20 era offenses under Frost and Heupel. That's fine. I don't really care. Those offenses gassed the defense and led to losses. So, you know, I'm good with what they're doing. Fair enough. All right. Let's jump into our predictions, which yes, um, you have our, our records because I yep. have mine um, because we, I'm excited about it. Yeah. So uh, I went 0 and 3 last week and you went 3 and 0. So there's been some, there, there's, been a little bit of a difference between us now so i'm down to 11 and 19 on the season and you are 15 and 15 15 you are at 500 something navy cannot say i think (laughs) i think an underrated part of this year is the fact that i'm 15 and 15 after last year going like three and 170 i don't think that was the exact record but shout out to me i was so bad at predictions last year and just to even be close to 500 i was like feeling pretty good and last week i think that was my probably my first three and oh ever 15 and 15. So I think it was like, I haven't had a three. No, shout out to me. Yeah. Shout out to you, man. Shout out to Bailey, everybody (laughs) on his 15 and 15 prediction record. Let's see if he can take advantage this week. (laughs) My 50% hit rate. Are you just going to go like, are you just going to go like super, super basic now to try to get a winning record? Like you're just going to be like, I believe that UCF will win. (laughs) Depends on how you look at things. Oh God. Okay. Let's Um, do it. So do you want me to go first then? Yeah. Why don't you go first? Let's hear these predictions. All right. Um, UCF will win the game comfortably. Okay. So That's it's so more vague. No, it's so let me explain. So they've last the last month now. So they lost to ECU and they've had three close games that kind of went down to the wire. I think this is just going to be like a stress-free game. I don't think there's going to be really any point where you're like, like, I don't know. I think I think they're going to take the lead early and they're going to build on that lead. And it's never really going to get to a point where it's like you're even bothered. Let me see a question. What? If UCF is up 38 to 28. That's and... not comfortable to me. Even 38-28, I'm not like... Okay, never mind then. Because I was going to say, if they're up 38-28 and Navy with like 45 seconds left scores a touchdown, are you going to count that as comfortable if they won by three? No, because then at the very end, you're going to have to be like, oh, we have to recover this onside kick to win. Like stuff okay. like that. Like right. that. Okay. We're I think it's just, it's going to be a game that's like taken care of early. And, and we're just like, it might not be a fun second half, but like I think they're just going to kind of coast to a win. I don't think I agree it's going to be taken care of early. I think that I would characterize it as I don't expect there to be any point where it feels like the game's in doubt. Like, I don't know if yeah. it'll be over early, but I don't think there's ever going to be a point where we're worried. It's just going to kind of be like sort of waiting. Well, for the away. so I guess it, it is, it, I guess this is kind of vague, but like, so they're up, say they're up like 17 to three at halftime. Okay. Like that's not, it's only a two possession game. So technically like it's not over early, but it's like, 
Navy's score, only scored three points. They haven't really shown they can move the ball. Like 73 feels comfortable because also Navy's going to need like at least like six minutes to get one of those touchdowns. So like that's, there goes that's your whole second half just trying to make it 17-17. So we'll talk yeah. about it after you try to claim that after whatever happens. Okay. Um, my first Fine. prediction will not be settled after this week. So we're going to have oh, to put God. this one in the we bank. Do one of those again. Bit. I think we did this like late last season. Yeah, and then I think we just forgot about it, and I don't think we ever included it in the record think, by the end of the year. No, I think one, I think it was – I don't remember what it was because I think there was also another one where, like, we just couldn't grade it, so we just threw it out. Yeah, there have been a couple of those. So you, it made it made the, like, records just very uneven. You made, so because, you made me throw out because I think I, for the Gasparilla Bowl, I posted, like, fans will be angry with each other on Twitter between these two fan bases or something as a prediction. And you were like, you can't <laughs> count that. Um, I probably, I mean, yeah, that's, that's it was something like prediction. that. I had to look it up. It was some very stupid prediction because I was just desperate to get my record up. But anyway, my first prediction that we will not be able to know for a while is that Mikey Keene has played his last snap in a UCF uniform. Okay. Uh, what if we don't know it? Like, what if that gets graded after this week? Like, what if he just plays? Uh, probably not like, good because that means JRP got hurt. So. No, because like JRP's helmet could come off one game <laughs> for one for one play, and he has to leave. The, oh my god, I forgot about the helmet rule when I made this. Well, oh, well, that defeats my whole point. Because my point was going to be, I, I like, for all the quarterback controversy that we invented on this podcast and online, JRP's the starter, and there's nothing that can happen that's going to change that. Um, there are transfer Outside portal. There are transfer. Well, yes, but there are transfer portal windows now, and the first window opens following the conference title game, and. I think that Mikey will be entering the portal at that point. I don't, I hope fans don't like pull some crap where they're like, why would you stick around for the bowl? Cause it's like the quarterback transfer market is incredibly competitive and you need to enter as soon as you can. So there, yeah. there's going to be a flood of quarterbacks in the market that day and he needs to get going. So I, so I, I think that we've got three games left where Mikey King could play. I, they have never put him in for garbage duty or for mop up duty or garbage time. And I don't see that changing in these games. Honestly, as much as I'm not worried, I don't think Navy or USF, either of those games are going to have the type of scores where UCF is going to, ever have a point where they're like, you know, putting in second or third string guys really. So I think that forever UCF legend, I think that we have seen the last of Mikey Keene at UCF. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that probably is fairly likely. Um, this popped into my head and it, like, it doesn't matter at all and, and won't and potentially will never matter. I just think it is interesting. What would the plan be if, he leaves after the conference championship game, like after like right that, that weekend. And then for the bowl game, something happens and, and I don't know, JRP gets hurt or so he has to come off the field. Play. They can't like, they're not going to turn around and burn Tommy's red shirt. So what happens? So like if JRP gets hurt in the bowl game, you mean? Not even if you get hurt. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, I, I don't know. Because if, if he, he gets, got hurt, like, if they like, need, let's if say... they need a QB two and Mikey's already transferred, what happens or well, not transfer, say, enter the transfer portal well let's say the jrp got hurt like in practice like they're doing bull practice and he goes down or something entering the transfer portal does not mean that you're off the roster like mikey could right. come back at that point if you needed to i don't know if you would but that would be an option if it happened in the game i just don't know you would have to burn tommy's red shirt i don't know what other options available to you and i'm sure gus will for that reason will try bond. to try to get mikey to stick through the bowl game but i just don't think it's in mikey's best interest to do so and he's such a stand-up guy listen he might say i'm gonna stick with this team through the bowl game you know you never know when you'll get the chance to play in a New Year's Six Bowl again, so you might as well just be on the sideline in case it happens. But that quarterback market is competitive, and I, I don't think you want to be the guy who doesn't have a lot of film to begin with and waits an extra month to enter when you're going to have dozens of other guys in there trying to get spots. Yeah, okay. So that's prediction number one. Um, prediction number two, I have the, the crowd will be impressive for an 11 a.m. game. Can I say my next one? Yeah. Um, UCF will have its first announced home attendance of 45,000 plus since November of 2019. Wow. 
So you're going I, even like, I don't even care. I think this is going to be their best home crowd of the year, except for maybe the Cincinnati game. And I think because, you know, I know it's early and I know fans complain about that. And let me just say really quickly, um, I'm sorry. Cause I, I like sort of was like talked about how excited I was on Twitter and some people got very upset and you were in the right on that. I forget sometimes. Cause I've God, I've, I started covering UCF in 2016. So for the last, is that seven seasons? You, sure I, I can't do you don't ask yeah, me to do math on this it podcast twice in the same podcast i'm getting so old guys it's it's wearing on me but i you know like my game day routine is like get to the stadium hour and a half two hours before kickoff get set up start pulling up stats open my word doc start taking notes of things i want to hit on the podcast that that like that's my pregame routine i forget for most people it's like take lots of shots and like <laughs> I, and, I, and sometimes i forget that so i get excited about kickoff times and realize like 7 a.m is not an ideal shot taking time so like i apologize it's also like that drive to campus set up the entire tailgate drink yeah eat enjoy time with your friends and then still get to kick get, get there for kickoff right? i saw they did open tailgating early it's gonna open at seven now but um yeah. all that being said it seems like in typical ucf fashion this is just becoming a thing i've seen a billion tweets how people want to like wear pajamas and they want to like sack <laughs> you know show up for breakfast at the balance house and all that and i feel like this, this feels like such a ucf thing to take a really weird 11 a.m kick and just make it a fun thing and from the game being sold out to how quick resale tickets are going off the market i think this is going to be a really good crowd i get the pajamas thing for like maybe the tailgate but like the game starts at 11 a.m. I think that's not that early. Yeah, like, let me tell. All right, so to the pajama crowd, I know you're going to do it. Pajamas. You're going to do it, and no context college football will love it, and it'll get some tweets. But, like, I want you guys to realize that at halftime, it's going to be, like, 1.30, and you're just going to be, like, in the middle of the day sitting there in pajamas, <laughs> and I feel like you're going to be questioning your decisions at that point. But, yeah. Listen, to bring... I also think UCF historically, just now that they're in the top 25 and in control for the New Year's Six bid, all the casual fans are going to be back. Like, And well, it's so not that's... like there are a lot of those to begin with who aren't in the stadium already, but they get good crowds when they're good. That's my rationale for this for this prediction, which you hijacked. Um, which, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, like for all the complaining, it's the it's the last home game. It's senior day. They're in the top twenty five. They've won three straight big games, and people are just gonna show up. They just will. Like I agree. I don't know, but I'm now curious to know like what the the number is gonna be. So you said more than forty five k. Yep, they haven't they had forty. They haven't announced forty five thousand since the USF game in twenty nineteen. Wow. All right, we'll see. Um, all I right, mean, they've, they've also just like lied about attendance this year, like blatantly. <laughs> so I feel like they can announce 40. I said announced for the record. So yeah, no, you did. I'm, I'm glad you said announced. So there's yeah. no like confusion there. Um, my final prediction is that John Rice Plumley will have a bigger passing day than he did against Tulane. We just talked about. I freaking hope so, man. Navy's passing defense. And and it's the same thing is you look at the, he didn't have like a horrid game against Tulane in the passing game. And he completed 17 of 30 for 132 yards and touchdown and didn't throw any interceptions or anything like that. But I think you see more yards. I think you see a better completion percentage. I think you see probably a couple, like at least two passing touchdowns. So a better overall passing day for everyone's favorite quarterback. I agree. Outside of Mikey Keen. I agree. Everyone's favorite quarterback, except for our favorite quarterback. Yeah. I um And Will Bone with Steven Leonard. I still don't really know what that's about. <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Cause honestly it's, and this is where I talked about, I, like, I know that, Gus and this team love to establish the run. I know that their ideal, I mean, I feel like what we saw against Tulane was just his, the run. his ideal version of the offense was just basically JRP just ripping apart defenders. And, and honestly, like you might get that on Saturday, but you have to take what the defense is going to give you. And if they're giving you the passing game, work on the passing game, focus on the passing game. So I agree with you that I think we will see a better, and also it's a bad defense. So should see a yeah. better passing performance from John Rice Plumley. John Rice Plumley, who, broadcast could not figure out where the rice belongs forgot to talk about that <laughs> rice plumley. they said john rice a couple of times they said rice plumley a few times they just didn't know what to do with the rice that's so. a great job by rice plumley 
which to be fair, I we I've said Rice Plumley on the podcast. They got him. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, Rice but we Plumlee didn't really know who him. he was. Sure like, didn't. If you're if you're doing a national broadcast, I think you should probably figure that out. Especially this late into a season where the guy's yeah. been playing college football for like four years, probably be able to figure out his name. But all that being yeah. said, um, my final prediction is that the defense will have its best game in weeks. I think the defense is very much due. Um, they've gone from arguably the best UCF defense all time to really frustrating fans for the last couple of weeks. Um, basically, other than the Cincinnati game, it's been a lot of frustration. And even the Cincinnati game was still tight at points. I think they're just going to have a really easy time for Navy. I really do. I think that the way Navy operates, they're just, and the fact that they're not that good this year, they're just only capable of putting up so many points, you know? And I yeah. think that's going to help the defense get buoyed Devin a really good day, which is what you want to see in these two games where you're trying to just really get your confidence up for the conference title game. Cool. All right. Let's do score predictions, which I'm like, I've grown increasingly not confident. Score predictions are always hard. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't ever want to predict like too many points. You don't want to be like, Oh, like this is a bad defense. They're going to score 50, but like sometimes you want to, I don't know. It's just well, like, the you, same you can never is... strike the right balance. It's like, I don't know if I'm giving Navy too few points here, but. But you know. can play a college football game with the exact same teams a hundred times and you'll get scores that will vary. Like you've never freaking seen. I mean, we see that every time a college football team, or two teams play each other twice in the same year. It's just always a dramatically different score. So it's hard. But anyway, uh, why don't we get yours first? Mine first. Uh, UCF 38, Navy 14. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. I I, I talked so much talk, and now I'm predicting a closer game. (laughs) Well, because you you, (laughs) – that's true. But you texted me yesterday, like, the line opened at uh, 19, UCF by 19. And I was like, I don't think they cover that. And then I go and predict 38 to 14. (laughs) Well, but it easily could be, honestly. Like, that score feels predictable. Mine, I went with 28-17. And uh, okay. I'm predicting it's going to be 28-10 with two minutes to go, and Navy will score a stupid touchdown that'll piss me off. So, Very I think this is going to be. UCF, I think this is going to be a day with long drives for both teams. I think it's going to be over fast, so enjoy it while it lasts. But I don't think UCF's going to have to sweat too much to the win here. Well, I hope not, because then I would get a prediction wrong if they do. Um, all right, let's jump into some of the football news. Uh, Matthew Wright, of course, has been bouncing around the NFL for ever, I think ever since he uh graduated at UCF he's back with the Steelers and because he was signed from the Chiefs practice squad he has to be on the Steelers roster for at least three games so a semi-permanent home or at least for three weeks for Matthew Wright um a little bit of a rough day against the Saints on Sunday he went two of four on field goals but hey they got the win and he kicked two field goals and a 10-point win so good good to see that for Matthew Wright um glad he at least has some stability i guess can you even call three weeks stability it's more than he's had i guess like i don't even he's had a weird journey I, I'd he's love had to longer much, stretches like... he's had longer stretches i guess with a team in the nfl but it has never been like it's never he's never had like a, a permanent home like Surely where he's, he's like i know next week that, i'm gonna though, be right oh yeah yeah like you make a lot of money when you're in those situations so that's something at least but i i can't imagine, like he's not moving to these places i'm sure he's just hanging out in a hotel like in various parts of the country oh, i don't mean like literal home. home i just mean no, no, I no, 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 no. I wasn't, okay. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going against your statement. I was just sort of thinking out loud here of like, what is his life like? Like, I assume he's just, you know, living life, doing whatever. And then an NFL team calls. He's like, I can live in Pittsburgh for a month. Sure. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. I like to talk to him about it, actually. Um, does the team pay for the hotel, do you think, or does he have to pay for it? Well, I don't know. I mean, wouldn't they kind of indirect, even if, even if he has to pay for it, they're kind of like indirectly paying for it. Like, well, sure, because he gets a salary, but I wonder yeah, if he can. So I don't. Like, I wonder if he's like, "Well, I live in Orlando," and they'd be like, "Okay, we'll put you up in a hotel." I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how being a free agent <laughs> kicker works because I've never been one personally. So who knows? Well, like when he's on the practice squad, like he has to still be at practice and stuff. So that's true. Yeah. So he's been in. He's been in Kansas City for a while now, I guess, but has to be on the act, actual Pittsburgh Steelers roster for three for at least two more games. So, um, good for Matthew Wright. Um, 
we already mentioned, of course, the 11 a.m. kickoff and that the game was announced on Sunday as a sellout, which was why I kind of thought it was funny. Like everybody complained a lot on Saturday night when they announced the kickoff time. And like, I think it was the next day, the very next day, it was like, this game sold out. And I was like, okay, yeah, you guys well, are complaining. The other thing I want to say about that is because P- there was, of course, as usual, there was the whole like, Mike Oresco is screwing UCF. Oh. And it's like, first off, ESPN decides that stuff, not Mike Oresco. And second, that was ESPN and the AAC giving UCF the most valuable slot they have to offer this week. I know that it sucks for fans and I'm not sitting here being like, yes, I'm happy that, well, I kind of am, but you know, you are, but, but you know, I mean this, the other options for this, cause UCF is going to be on ESPN two at 11 AM. The other options were to be on ESPN U or ESPN plus ESPN plus. There will be more people in the stadium than watching the broadcast ESPN U you're lucky. To by get far. K. Yeah. I yes, No one watches ESPN plus and ESPN U would have been literally hundred K is your max. And I looked it up and UCS played three ESPN two games this year and they've averaged just over a million viewers in those three games. And they've also played a fourth one against Tulane this weekend, which we're waiting for the ratings, waiting to see the ratings for, but I bet we'll be good. So. Yeah. Um, UCF also, is up to, can I say one more thing real quickly? Sorry. Yeah. Um, also a big part of why the big 12 and Brett Yormark like having an Eastern time zone team is so they can play them in on big noon. So uh, be ready for a uh, noon kickoffs next year. I think people will just be happy to have Saturday kickoffs next year. That's a step yeah, forward. haven't been many of those this year. It's a step forward. Um, UCF's up to number 18 in the coaches poll, and as we mentioned earlier, number 17 in the AP poll. Um, and, of course, like we said, John Rice Plumley at the top was named the AAC Offensive Player of the Week, 308 total yards and three total touchdowns. And finally, we have um, a we have two options so far on the UCF-USF Warren I-4 kickoff, either 7 o'clock or 7.30 on Saturday the 26th on ESPN2 or ESPNU. I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised it's a night game. Um, That's going to suck at the final one. I force on ESPNU, though, for reasons I just said. But yeah, it's weird that this is the last one. I tweeted that earlier today. I, it was weird seeing the time. I'm like, oh, they're just not going to play again. And they might, they, they could realistically go a decade plus without playing again, which is just so weird to think about. Very weird, especially after, obviously, being conference mates for 10 years. They've played every year for 10 years. So yeah. it's just and I don't a even, regular thing. What's weird, and I still don't totally understand why this is the case. I should just tweet a, uh, I should just tweet a Terry Mahodra and maybe he'll tell me or, like, ask Jimmy Skiles to look into it. But, like, I like I, as far as I can tell, there hasn't been any discussion about UCF playing USF in any sports, which does not make sense. They should be able to play them non-conference in any sport. Yeah, I'm not happy about other that. Than football, and it sounds like they're just not interested in doing so, and that feels like a mistake to me. But I mean, obviously, you know, and if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, you know I live in Tampa, so like I would like for UCF to play USF in non, you know, non-football sports. I like playing them in football too, but non-football sports to make it easier for me to see some UCF road games, but all other hey. broken rivalries are Texas and Texas A&M play each other in all the other sports. Like it's not, and honestly, it's like, there are few teams that it feels as good to beat in non-football sports as USF, because you know, it's, that's just the way it goes. They're UCF's rival. And I just don't, for all the people who are like, yeah, leave them behind, whatever. It's like, I just, it's like, I like watching games that I'm invested in and you're all you're doing is taking away games that I'm invested in by not playing them in any sport. So it also makes financial sense. Just throwing that out there. Um, all right. Game of the week. UCF women's soccer, they're nine, two, and six. They're playing at number one, uh, number one in the region, UCLA, who's 18 and two, Friday at 10 p.m. in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, a big win in penalties over NC State, the number eight seed on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. It was nerve wracking. Sure was. Um, but hey, they're on to the second round, play number one, UCLA, who's 18 and two. Uh, it's going to be a Friday night game. So, don't stay up too late. I guess you got to stay up and watch UCF women's soccer and then get right to bed because you got to wake up for that early tailgate. Um, but with all that, let's go to tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. I have two this week. Um, 
I liked both of these and I couldn't pick one. So the first tweet of the week goes to at Tulane sports guy who has a check mark that he paid for like a loser. Um, at Tulane sports guy after the game ended tweeted, I want a rematch with this team in the AAC championship game. And listen, at Tulane sports guy, I simply could not agree more. I really couldn't. I, I would love nothing more than to see Tulane come into the bounce house. Because the other thing we talked about is for that game being a one score game, which that's what Tulane fans are running with. It's like, oh, look how good they looked. And it was only one score game. Like UCF could have won that game by a lot more. Like you remove the roughing the kicker and UCF is probably up 31-7 going in halftime. It's a completely different game. And there were a few different moments like that. So, or, you know, or if John Rice Pumley, you know, if they don't call that stupid pass play at the goal line on fourth down, you're going up there. So like, I, I just, Tulane is a team that I just, I am their biggest fan for the rest of the season because I truly <laughs> cannot wait to see them again in the AC title game. Would not like to see Cincinnati. And I have one other tweet. It's from NOLA.com, which is the big newspaper down in New Orleans. And it was their game story about the game and why Tulane lost. I'm just going to read the headline by Jeff Duncan. Was it the weather, the stage? Tulane sure wasn't itself in bitter loss to UCF. And if you read the story, it goes on to talk about how Tulane, part of the problem was they just weren't prepared for the very cold weather that hit <laughs> New Orleans because they're not used to playing in cold weather. Um, I can think of another team, another team on that field that's not used to playing in cold weather. But um, hey, if you want to lean on that as an excuse, I, I just, I, I'm sorry, leaning on UCF the UCF plays of, in Florida, which is notoriously known for being cold. Yeah, notoriously cold Central Florida. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just what a first off, it's like, and I try to be good about this on the podcast because we talk about that, like when your team loses or even if your team wins, everything is from your perspective. Like, well, we lost because they didn't do this. Thing that I, it's like, you know why Tulane lost that game because UCF had better players. That's why Tulane lost that game. But Tulane didn't lose the game because they seemed off they didn't lose the game because it was chilly they lost the game because UCF had better players that's it and it's fine to just say that it's also like the the line Tulane wasn't itself makes it sound like Tulane's like this storied program that like never loses <laughs> like I, I don't know you could just... argue that was the first time this year that Tulane was itself I mean <laughs> let's be real <laughs> that's fair fair enough all right well shout out to our, our Tulane winners of tweet of the week um all right, let's. That's. Oh, uh, I have to us. say, there was oh, a UCF yeah, fan that almost oh. earned it, but then they then asked, "Can I be tweet of the week?" Oh. And if you ask for tweet of the week, you are not tweet of the week, so they are not getting it. Yeah, just for for further reference too. Yeah, don't ask for tweet of the week because then you will not get it. So do not. That's just yeah. We won't go there with that one. Um, but hey, thank you everybody for listening. Um, we will be back on Saturday afternoon with episode 111. It'll be weird because it'll be like, "Hey, welcome into this late night pod at three o'clock." Yeah, what am I going to call it? I was wondering the same thing. Um, I was going to actually ask you that after we, we finished recording here. Day night pod. Um, so back for a late afternoon pod, uh, episode 111 on Saturday. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Thank you guys so much for being with us, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.